Welcome to Redeeming the Time Brothers podcast, a podcast by Gene Kissinger and Norman Kissinger, two brothers who spent their lives in ministry and raising large families. Our desire is to provide a digital place for those who long to belong, and how we're doing that is bringing, providing digital content across multiple platforms to develop disciples within the body of Christ and also to facilitate evangelism to help those that are lost come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I hope you'll help us in this ministry and share these podcasts with your friends and family members that they might come to know Jesus and grow deeper in their faith walk with Him. We are going to be looking at spiritual warfare today. One of the best sermons I ever heard on spiritual warfare was preached by Adrian Rogers, a past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He he led the a resurgence of the conservatives within the Southern Baptist back to biblical inerrancy and some other key and profound truths. And one of the one of the statements that he made has always stuck with me. He said. Uh, he said, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. It's not a frolic, it's a fight. It's the good fight. It's not a stroll, it's a struggle. It's not a waltz, it's a warfare. I think that's so important to remember. I, I keep coming across people who are engaged in spiritual warfare. They have no idea they're in spiritual warfare. They, they're expecting a playground when they're indeed in the middle of a battleground. And so when the woundings come they're blown over by it. They, they don't know what to do about it. They don't expect the hit. And it's a hard hit when it comes. And so one of mine and my brother's goals is to wake the church up to the reality of the spiritual warfare that is going on. Now, there are those that understand that we're in warfare, but they make the mistaken assumption that they're battling flesh and blood. The Bible says the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted the self against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have a spiritual weaponry and we're fighting a spiritual battle. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness. In fact, I want to read that passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and starting in verse 10. It says this, probably one of the watershed spiritual warfare passages. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I just pray that you'd be with our understanding. Help us not to be ignorant of the devices of the devil. Help us to understand the stratagems and mechanisms that he uses to defeat us. And help us to understand what arena of warfare we're battling in at that moment in time that we might be effective and bring the proper spiritual armor and equipment to bear against it. Allow us to be successful in the battle. Allow us to move into the victory that your son Jesus already bought for us on the cross. Thank you for your will. Thank you for your word. And thank you for, for your work that are you do, you're doing in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we fight essentially three basic enemies. First enemy is the external enemy. That is the world and the world system. 
It's called cosmos in the, in the original Greek and Romans. It talks about the cosmos, be not conformed to this world. It's a world system. It's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a set of beliefs that are there. Uh, and, and it's just as real a religion as Christianity. I mean, it's this idea, this understanding that there is a, a way of thinking in the world, a way of believing in the world. There's orthodoxy in the world where they, they believe certain things and they'll punish you if you don't believe the same things that they believe. Just look at the, the, the rioters that are dragging people out of cars and stuff. They're literally punishing people for not believing the way that they believe. Now, you need to know that society apart from God is no friend to Christianity. It's no friend of the church or the cause of Christ. Rather, Christians are viewed by the world as the problem, not the solution. You need to understand that the Christians are viewed by the world as the problem, not the solution. And so you need to know that the world is not going to be friendly to you. And there are some within the church who've adopted a sort of peace at any cost with the world system, and they've, they've sort of compromised uh, biblical standards, they've compromised theology, they've, they've compromised historic Christianity in hopes of somehow winning the world's favor. That is a radical mistake. You cannot, you cannot compromise the Word of God. The Word of God is settled forever in heaven. It's not going to pass away one jot or one tittle, so every bit of it is fulfilled, and you don't get to negotiate with the Word of God. You cannot give ground on the core doctrines that are in the Bible. Now, certainly there's room for disagreement on the, the secondary and tertiary issues, uh, but, but there is no room for disagreement on the realities of heaven and hell, uh, the, the, the trinity of God, the, the uh, vicarious death of Christ on the cross for us, salvation by faith rather than by works, and on and on. And on. There's what's called the pale of orthodoxy, and once we, once we understand what that pale of orthodoxy is, we can't compromise that in order to make the world happy, because you'll never make the world happy because they hate God, and because they hate God, they hate you, and they hate Christianity. So there's the external enemy, that's the world. There is the internal enemy, that's our flesh, our old nature. When we got saved, the Spirit of God came into us. And now there's a war going on within us in our flesh, our old nature, the old way that we used to do things, sets of habits, hang-ups, and hurts that were there. They will battle against the work that the Spirit is trying to do within our life. And so there's kind of an internal war within the believer where their past operating system sometimes tries to raise up and take over the new operating system. And that new operating system, of course, isn't a system at all. It's really the work in the person of the Holy Spirit, as I was reminded today by... Uh, uh, Brother Bruce Carlson at Cornerstone Baptist. He made it really plain in his sermon in a powerful way that we need to understand the Holy Spirit is not a force, he's a person. And I really appreciated that. And so the Holy Spirit within you kind of has a war with the flesh, that, that old nature that's there. So there's an external enemy, the cosmos, the world system, internal enemy, the flesh or old nature, and then the infernal enemy is what Adrian Roger calls the old devil. The infernal enemy, he's real, and he is on planet Earth. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, and he's got a plan for your life, only it's not the good plan God has. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to wreak havoc in your life, and if that havoc is unfolding in your life, you can be certain if you're a born-again believer, Satan is trying to put uh, put the, the, the thumb screws on you. He's trying to wreck you. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to defeat you. And he's out to destroy you. So we fight an infernal enemy. Now, here's a principle that I didn't understand for a long time. 
we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. In other words, Jesus Christ, his work on the cross was complete. It was perfect. It was finished. When he said it is finished on the cross, at one of his final seven statements, that literally was more than just a statement about the, the last breath going out of his body. That statement was literally, it is finished. The spiritual warfare that he was accomplishing, he defeated the work of Satan. He defeated the work of the world. He defeated the work of the flesh on the cross. He gained ultimate victory there. And as believers, we fight from that place of victory rather than for the victory. Now, I know that may sound like semantics to you, but it's not. What it means is, is we can have a very different mindset about how the battle unfolds. If I'm fighting from a victory that's already won, there's a different kind of war that I'm fighting than if I'm fighting to gain the victory in my own flesh because I have limited resources and, and intuitively I know that I don't have it within myself to be able to win this ultimate victory that's there. And so I've got to, I've got to allow the spirit to teach me to fight from victory rather than for victory. And again, it's not semantics. It is something powerful and profound. So sometimes you'll hear somebody say, I won a great victory this week over some temptation or the devil or whatever. And, and you understand what they're saying, what they really mean by that, or what they really should say if they're saying it theologically correct was, is this, they should say, I had success this week in appropriating the victory already won for me by Christ on the cross. Now, if you go back to the Older Testament, you find sort of vivid imagery that teaches us about what this victory looks like when we're fighting from victory rather than for victory. Think about Joshua as he led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan to finally take over the promised land that they should have taken over a couple of weeks out of Egypt, but instead they got in the flesh and they got fearful. As a result of being in the flesh and fearful, they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for four decades until finally the older generation had died off and now a newer, newer generation ends up moving into that place of victory. So now Joshua leads them in. Think about how it happened. He wasn't, he wasn't going in there winning victories. He was moving from a place of victory. These battles had already been given to him by God. God had already given that land to Abram literally four centuries before God had turned the title deed of that land over to Abram and to his descendants. It was already won by God. Now Joshua is just going to appropriate that victory. And there's a lot of parallels if you want to do a deeper study between the book of Joshua and the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And uh, I believe it's Alan Redpath that's got a commentary along that lines. It's probably out of print now, but if you get a chance to pick it up, it is exceptional. But anyway, Joshua led them through. Now, these were pre-guaranteed victories by trusting and obeying and following God's providential lead and then just mopping up and just taking down the names that literally God was going to have his children in that place. Now, the very first city they come to is Jericho, just on the other side of the Jordan River. God will provide a miracle to split the waters of the Jordan in half. The Israelites will walk across on dry ground just as they did at the very beginning of the Exodus journey when they went across the Red Sea. They marched across it on dry land. They do it again in the Jordan River and they get to the other side and they come to this massive walled city. God doesn't say fight it. God says march around it for six days and don't say anything. And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times. And on the seventh time, shout and blow your trumpets. And then God gives the victory. The wall falls down. Every Literally, the victory is totally given to them by God. 
So faith in what God said was the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Your faith in God overcomes the world. Now Joshua then goes into a little village called Ai. It's a tiny town. It's, it's a hamlet, really, of the, of the larger city of Jericho. Think of it as a, as a suburb, kind of a, just a, a, a little, uh, what do you call those little towns? Anyway, just a, it's a hamlet. And uh, Joshua is so confident that he's going to get this victory, he doesn't even send his own whole army to go in. He just sends a segment of his army in, and they are soundly and roundly defeated by this tiny town called Ai because it wasn't done from victory. It was done for victory. It was done in the flesh, not in faith. And as a result of that, Joshua that was Joshua led them into a, just a slaughter and it was ugly and they have to go back and reconfirm their faith walk with God. There was sin in the camp, disobedience was there, it was radically dealt with and then they go out on the other side and they move into that place of victory again. So there was confession and repentance which overcame the flesh, that's flight. So you, faith overcomes the world, flight overcomes the flesh. The Bible says to flee youthful lusts. Flee idolatry, flee youthful lust. We need to run from some things. Man, there are some temptations that are so strong in the flesh, you can't afford to stand around and try to negotiate with it. You gotta run from it. Flee sexual immorality. There are temptations you need to run from. Sometimes the, the bravest thing you can do is beat feet down the street, is take off running. Joseph, when Potiphar's wife was trying to sleep with him and coercing him to sleep with her, he didn't stay there and negotiate with her. He dropped his coat of many colors and took off running down the road and got out of there. As a result of that, he ended up obtaining victory in the long run. So faith overcomes the world. Flight or running, fleeing overcomes the flesh. Now the Gibeonites are a tricky little group of people and they come literally over the hill and they've heard what happened to Jericho and what happened at Ai and they don't want the Israelites to swamp them as well so they want to create a treaty with the with Joshua but they know that God has already told Joshua not to make any treaties with the people of the land <coughs> so they, they they predicate this uh, they, they predicate this illusion. They put this illusion together where they put old shoes, they start carrying moldy bread, and they bring it all to, to and, and worn out wineskins to indicate that they've traveled a long ways away to create this treaty with Joshua and with the people of Israel. And Joshua signs on, really without talking to God about it, and he's responding to this lie. And as a result of that, they ended up disobeying God because they, they, they listened to the lies of the devil. You got to fight the devil. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You got to fight the devil. And that's what it means when it says stand in Ephesians. Stand, stand, stand. You fight. You, God has given you the victory. You're, you're working, you're fighting from victory, not for victory. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus fought the devil with the word of God, and that's the weaponry you are to use as well. One of the tragedies in modern Christianity is, is the, the depth of ignorance of the word of God. There is zero reason Christians should be ignorant of the Bible. 
You and I should be scholars. We should be workmen who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth so that, so that we can indeed overcome, uh, overcome the devil and fight him. Now, it's fascinating that, that you watch how the world views somebody that is a Christian. They sort of think of Christians as weak, as sort of emaciated almost. Like, I don't know if you remember the, the old show MASH, but you have, you have kind of Hawkeye and Trapper and some, some of these other guys, and they're sort of presented as, as these, these very strong guys that are out there. And they're, they're out there, and they, man, they just, they're, they're cheating on their, their wives back home with these nurses. They're out drinking all night. There, there are all kinds of carnality that's there. And then they present Father Mulcahy, who's this sort of sissified kind of a guy, almost very weak, almost weak need, as it were. And, and they, they want to make him look weak. Look, I, I want you to understand something. You're a guy watching this. I'll tell you the most courageous thing you can do is grab the Word of God and start living by it. I mean, pick up your Bible and actually be courageous enough to stand against the tide of wickedness that's out there and live a life different than the world. This Bible has got power in it that's beyond anything you can possibly imagine. There is nothing weak about it. So we need to understand that. Now let's kind of begin to wrap this up. So step one is knowing who your enemy is. You got to know who you're fighting. And you're fighting, are you fighting the world? Because you, you fight the world with faith. Are you fighting the flesh? You fight the flesh by fleeing from temptation. Are you fighting the devil? You fight the devil by, by fighting. You stand and you fight the devil. So there, there's a fight that goes on there. Now, so our infernal enemy, the devil, he doesn't have horns and a tail. He doesn't have a bifurcated tongue, but he is as real as the pulpit I'm standing behind. He's a re as real as the floor I'm standing on. He is real. He's alive and well on planet earth and he's seeking your destruction as a born again child of God. Now, He's active in this world, especially in the church. Sometimes we think that once once I've committed my life to Christ, I'm no longer going to have any trouble with the devil. That's not how this works. Spurgeon used to say, the higher you climb the mountain, the stiffer the winds blow. In other words, you're going to experience trouble in your walk with God. You're going to experience difficulty in your walk with God because Satan is out to hinder you. He doesn't have to hinder the people that are already headed towards hell. If somebody's out there already headed towards hell, running at breakneck speed in rebellion, and disobedience to God, sort of, sort of telling God that they will never do what God wants them to do. They don't go. He, devil doesn't have to do anything to them. He just lets them destroy themselves. But who he's after is in church. He will, he will come after you. And you need to know what's going on because the, the, the consequences of this warfare are eternal. They're real, and you and I've got to win the battle. So the devil would like nothing more to do great damage to the true church, to use people in it to accomplish his purposes. Look, one thing I want you to understand, if, if you find yourself attacking other people in your church, you're working on the devil's side. You need to learn to start loving the church because Jesus loved the church and died on the cross for it. Now, that doesn't mean the church is perfect. It's not. It's made up of fallible people. Look, if you're in it, the church isn't perfect because you're not perfect. We, we remember the flesh we talked about you got flesh and and you battle with that stuff and you're not a perfect person so we need to gather together as the church band together because we're under one savior and one lord and follow him until he comes back to catch away his own 
So two common mistakes people make about the devil, and we'll close with these. Number one, don't maximize his influence. <laughs> Flip Wilson used to always say, the devil made me do it. You know, and that was his, his thing. Whenever he'd do some stupid, wicked thing, he'd blame it on the devil in his comedy routine. I'm afraid Christians have taken up his cry and they're blaming the devil for everything in their lives. And the reality is sometimes you did stupid stuff and as a result of the stupid stuff you did, you're, you sowed the wind and now you're reaping the whirlwind. You got no room to blame the devil. It's on us. If I'm doing dumb stuff, I can't be blaming him for it. Now, we need to begin instead of focusing on the devil, focus on God. In, in Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. God doesn't want us out there living everywhere just looking for the devil around every corner. God wants us to be focused on him. He wants us to be aware of Satan, but awed by God. I want you to listen to that. Aware of Satan, but awed by God. And when we do, we'll experience perfect peace. When my mind is settled on God, I've got the peace of knowing that I'm in constant contact with my commander-in-chief, and he's going to help me win the war. He's going to help me to move into the victory he's already appropriated. And then how we change our thinking is in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, the battlefield is your mind, and you're going to win or lose the battle in fighting with the devil in your mind. So learn to allow God's thoughts to become your thoughts. They're not naturally your thoughts, but you begin to study the word, memorize, meditate, uh, study it, and you begin to make it a part of your thought processes. And then so doing, you become to under, uh, better understand the mind of God. And then don't minimize his influence. It's easy. Christians are easy prey to a devil they don't believe in. You know, they, they don't believe that Satan exists, that they don't think there is such a thing as evil, and they, they've got this Pollyanna-ish, well, we're all just good, let's hug each other, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Um, you know, the Bible's very clear, we're not okay, we're broken, we, we, we are prone to sin. There's an old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And the idea is I'm a sinner and I, I need God's grace to save me. Let's close our time together here in prayer. And we'll continue further studies on helping to know how to fight this battle, how to win it. But the key thing from this is understand what strategy to use in depending on the arena that you're fighting in. And go back over this to get those three. But let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I pray that you would bless our time together. Thank you for these dear believers that are here. I pray that you would bless them in all that they do. Allow us, God, to grow close to you. Allow us, God, to move to fight from victory, not to fight for victory. Help us to remember it's not in our flesh. The victory can't be gained in our flesh. It had to be gained on the cross. If righteousness came by works of the law, then Christ died in vain. And we know that you didn't die in vain. You died to give us victory. Help us to move into that victory and, and help us to be victorious all the way to the end when your son Jesus comes to catch us all away. In Jesus' name, amen.